You're listening to the Eastside Church Sermon Podcast Series. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, inclusive, and justice-oriented. We are thrilled that you found our podcast, and if you'd like to learn more about our community, visit our website at eastsideatl.org. My name is Ed, and it's an honor to join together with what's been a rotating college of preachers that has been proclaiming the word over these past few weeks. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, John or Josh had talked about uh, Jesus, the lamb incarnated, the sheep who makes the perfect shepherd, which was like, whoosh. and then uh, last week, my dear friend Megan stirred our hearts to really get serious about Trinitarian love. Uh, and Jesus in this dance with the Spirit and the Father and this flow of love that gives and receives among them and challenged us with a word of genuine empathy, of loving while being present and fully exposed instead of loving from a safe and controlled distance, which is another... So, as we continue forward in our journey with the lectionary, the next passage from John on this sixth Sunday of Easter presents a dilemma for me because which is that Megan and I see so much of the world in a similar way. And so it was hard not to write the exact same sermon, (laughs) which would have been awkward. So uh, if you hear something today that sounds a lot like what you heard last week, please know that it is not plagiarism (laughs) that breeds that familiarity, but familiarity that breeds that familiarity. I'll do my best to introduce a different angle, though. So let's start with this question. Would you like to see God? I promise, this is not like a David Blaine magician thing. (laughs) It's a real question. Would you like to see God today? In the category of kids say the darndest things, I've got a couple stories about my son Francis this morning. You know, Francis prattles on pretty endlessly these days, chatty really to a fault. Yes, I know, I know, I have no idea where he gets it. Uh, Sometimes he just makes stuff up. Uh, Sometimes he just wants to talk about Sonic the Hedgehog. Sometimes he challenges the basic rules of arithmetic. Dad, what is 500,000 million plus infinity? You know, like, no, come on, man. Like, there's no, there's not going to be a discussion. Um, And naturally, he folds in questions about God. What is God like? Is God everywhere? Is God in this car? Is God on top of all the trees in Atlanta? And the thing about kids is that they're still piecing together like a basic reference model by which they should perceive the world. They don't have all the knowledge yet, right? Because of school, you know, it hasn't happened all the way and probably it's going to end up just being Google and Wikipedia. And they don't have all the experiences yet either because they're relatively new to the planet. And we don't have kind of like a matrix style, like, you know, um, spinal plugs that give us this instantaneous mastery of knowledge. So when Francis asks questions about God, it's because he's tickled by the idea of God and has no place to locate that in his mental models. So it's like he's kind of groping around trying to figure out what God is like, what is this indescribable, invisible being that is everywhere and super powerful. And so when this relatively blank canvas asks where uh, God is, it kind of un reflects a deep human curiosity of just like, where's God? I want to see God. And so people of Eastside Church gathered here and online and wherever, would you like to see God? 
because I've got God right here. Just kidding. That was, I don't know what you expected was going to happen. So <clears throat> sometimes I look at the lectionary and I feel like they've shaved too much context. Actually, almost always. But they have to draw the cut line somewhere because you can't just have like the reading for today starts with Genesis 1-1 and go through the whole Bible. So uh, this week's lectionary starts annoyingly with Jesus answered him. And one feels like, you've, like you're at a picnic or a bar, you walk up and you're like in the middle of a conversation and then they're like, well, let me tell you the answer to that question. You're like, oh, I missed, obviously, something else is happening here. So I won't do that to you. Today we're going to read the bigger context. Lectionary starts with verse 23, but we're going to start from verse 15. It's going to take us all the way to verse 31. So please rise as you are able in body or in spirit to listen to the voice of God in the lines of Scripture. John 14, starting with verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it, because that would be weird if it was Iscariot, <laughs> he just left. Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid." You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I'm coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs so that when it does occur, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the rule of this world is coming. He has no power over me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise let us be on our way. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Okay. God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here, gathered here in this place and online, may it be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, the rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so this is why I asked that question earlier. Do you want to see God? Because that is the super important part that the lectionary left off. Personally, I'd love to see God. Not like the fictional, imaginary God that sort of occupies our collective myth. I mean, like the real deal, like the real God revealed. Like, you know, are we gathered in this church? Are we right about God? Like, is it like Christ? Is it the Trinity? Did maybe the Hindus get it right or the Buddhists? Like, was it like the Mayans or the Zoroastrians? Like, or the Egyptians? Like, who got... I am really eager to just see God 
revealed. And so do the disciples here. They're also eager for that, talking to Jesus. So a few ideas that I want us to examine kind of in a line of reasoning. First of all, God revealed, right? In order to see God, it means understanding this unique signature of Jesus Christ, this Christness of it all, okay? This comes back to Trinity again. Judas asks this basic question, how will you reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And it's a pretty good question. Uh, And we see that Christ rewards those who keep my word. And he gets deep into a description of presence and dwelling and representations of the Father's love and the advocate's sending. But there's a very Christ-centeredness to what Christ is preaching here. And we got to remember that Jesus is a Jewish rabbi speaking to his student disciples. Judas, as a disciple, engages Jesus in this teaching dialogue. And earlier in the chapter, it's Philip, actually. It's like, how, when will you show us the Father? And so Christ responds by highlighting the Christness, right? The Jewish rabbis, the different rabbis have different, kind of different answers of wisdom based on like, their school of thought. And for Jesus, it's just like, it's about the Christ. It's about me, right? And so he talks about, like, keep my word, the Holy Spirit that is sent in my name, not just a generic spirit of like awesomeness and goodness and virtue, but the spirit that you're going to recognize because we're familiar. You know me. And when you see this spirit, you're going to be like, that is the spirit that's sent in the name of Christ. And then for the piece de resistance, there's this interesting couplet right in the middle of the passage because it's kind of like Jesus is like, I will, be, I will send you and I'm going to you, I'm coming to you, etc. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. What? Like, where did that come from? Like, what are you talking about? And uh, aren't those kind of the same statement, basically? Like, here's some peace. And also, here's some peace. (laughs) Yeah, Jesus, I get it. I know what you're saying. Why are you saying it twice? The difference here is actually the difference in the peace. Peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. Right? I do not give as the world gives. It's not just peace. It's the peace of Christ, right? And so there's this uniqueness of Christ that's imbued into the answer. So if you want to see God, we have to see Christ. And the interesting thing is, like, that's obvious. If you've been in a church cult, like, you're going to hear that kind of stuff all the time. But it's interesting to hear what it's not, right? It's not, if you want to see God, go see the majestic mountains or an amazing sunset or the stars in the sky, right? Those are amazing. Those compel us and move our souls with beauty, but it's the person of Jesus Christ that Jesus is saying we got to stare at, that we got to put our eyes on. I don't know why, but sometimes, like, it feels almost a little radical to say that Christians should, like, follow in the way of Christ, (laughs) you know, because we do. It's sort of by definition. There's a uniqueness to the mysteries that we choose to defend as Christians, the liturgy that we choose to practice. And look, in a progressive church, we're very interested in pushing that forward and advancing it in step with our world and what the Spirit is doing, and I totally agree with that. And we see it here in the passage, too, actually, that the advocate won't just be a spirit of, of Christ reminding us of just Christ, you know, um, but also like the Galilean car- carpenter that like, walked in the pages of Scripture, but also the advocate, uniquely recognizable as the Spirit of Jesus, will remind you of all I've said to you, but also will teach you everything. Like, there's more still that, that, like, God is still speaking, right? God is still at work, and I, and I really support that. And yet, at the same time, there's this, like, unique, almost, like, smell. There's, like, a feel to this spirit. 
in whom the person of Jesus runs very deep. And through the Spirit, just like the disciples knew Jesus and was in this intimate relationship, we today, you know, 20 centuries later, can be in, in that same level of familiarity and intimacy with the Christ because we recognize the Spirit who comes in his name. And that leads to the next point. So in order to see Christ, or in order to see God revealed, we need to see Christ. And in order to see Christ, we have to be Christ to each other. So we might ask a very similar question as Judas, not Iscariot, asked in the passage, which is, how, God, must we do this? Like, what unlocks this? Right? We talk a lot at this church around, around like this inbreaking kingdom of the Spirit that's like breaking through into our reality. There's a here but not yet, and there's like the kingdom on earth that isn't it right now. So what's the tip of that spear? Like, what causes that spirit to break in? What causes that to start? And this is where I will cut and paste the sermon that Megan from last week, you know, like the weeks before. Like, we're back at loving people in the way that Christ knows and the, the way that Christ loves. And it's all about that love and the unique hallmarks of that love, which is self-sacrifice, right? On behalf of the disciples that he's talking to and the whole movement and for humanity. There's something about self-sacrifice. There's something about civil disobedience. There's something about humble submission that, are, that bear the hallmarks of Christ. There's something about that in the phone calls of Flight 93 on September 11, 2001, when passengers rushed terrorists in the cockpit and redirected our hijacked plane away from Washington, D.C. There's something about that in the life of Aaron Salter Jr., a security guard shot just over a week ago in Buffalo when he confronted an active shooter in an attempt to protect innocent lives in a supermarket. And there's something about that in the letters of Dr. King writing from a Birmingham jail where he cites Jesus, Paul, Abraham Lincoln, and others as extremists for love and for justice. By the way, speaking of the Birmingham jail letters, I was like astounded because Dr. King actually references the story from our first reading in Acts, Paul feeling driven to go to Macedonia. He cites it because he states that his purpose in Birmingham as one that is compelled to act against injustice, like the 8th century evangelist, like Paul who left Tarsus and went on missionary journeys around the world. And then like Paul, he says, I must constantly respond to the Macedonian call for aid. There's this urgency, there's like a feverishness, a pull to love deeply into the brokenness of this world. And there's something about all these commitments that look like Jesus, even found right here in John 14. Because earlier in this passage, Jesus, when Jesus gives his disciples a new commandment, it really highlights what he's after. And this is kind of John's, the Johannian shtick to all of this stuff. Because later, you know, in, in the letter that John writes in 1 John 3.16, he says, we know love, which is the commandment, love one another. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. So when we know and deeply understand the Christ event and the heart of that narrative, I think we recognize what it looks like to, love, to bear the incredible love of Christ. The transformation of this world didn't come through an uprising against the Roman Empire. It came through the submission and love and sacrifice of the Christ who died at the hands of those he loved. It becomes a guidepost. It becomes a pattern, a way of being and thinking, a mental and spiritual DNA that opens up within us and gives us a totally different lens to see the world. So another story that falls in the category of kids say the darndest things, <laughs> you know, we try to tell Francis about like what's going on in the world. So like Black Lives Matter. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, no, that's right. 
Um, you know, stop Asian hate. Yeah, they're killing the Asians. Hey, God, we have to stop that. Like, um, and we try to tell them about, like, oh, there's a war in Ukraine. Ukraine, well, we got you a globe. Here's the Ukraine over here. And <clears throat> who's, who's, who's making this war? Well, Russia. Why? Well, there's this guy, Vladimir Putin. And, like, <laughs> you know, like, and you have to, like, explain it. And, <clears throat> and you have to create context for all of it. And it's kind of like, okay, so Putin is this, he's kind of like a bad guy. Like, you know, like, you don't want broad, paint broad strokes, but, like, Putin's like a bad guy. <laughs> and he's doing these things. And that's why. He's like, why? Why? And then Francis says, again, the darnest things. He's like, oh, I know how to solve this. I was like, oh, <laughs> you do? <laughs> That's amazing. We got to call, like, the president. Um, what do we do? And he says, and he says something that's very different, because he watches, like, Power Rangers. Bunch. I was like, oh, he's going to, like, call the Megazord or something. And what he says, actually, is, like, we got to melt his heart. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And I don't know where he got that. I think it's from a Disney movie. I was asking him today. I was like, where'd you get that? Because um, he said it a couple months ago, and he's like, I don't know. <laughs> but I think there's some Disney movie he watched at some point where it's like you have this conflicted villain that's like doing all this stuff, but it's because like, and then they do therapy on him over the course of the movie, and it's like, oh, actually, like, you're just traumatized, and you're hurt, and that's why you're lashing out, and like, you need to come around. And he's like, that's how we solve Putin. <laughs> Which I was like, I don't think anyone's tried that yet. I don't know if they're like... <laughs> That's like a strategy that we've deployed. Um, but it, has, it bears with it like the DNA of, a, um, uh, of someone who overcomes the world with love. And you know, there's these stories of like Mahatma Gandhi writing these letters to Hitler. I don't know if you saw this on your Instagram feed, but it was like, Dear Adolf Hitler in like 1936. He's like, my friend, please don't do this. <laughs> like, He's trying to melt the heart of, like, you know, this fascist. And I don't know that anyone's tried that with Putin, but we got to be Christ to each other. To see God, we got to see Christ. And to see Christ, we have to find ways to be Christ to each other as applied to our world. And that leads to the final point, which is being Christ to each other, loving one another, it requires one another. And this is always how all my sermons end. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but somehow, like, I feel like you could just roll your eyes at this point. Like, you can't love one another all alone, right? Being Christ to one another requires a collective, and God is a community into himself that connects with our communities. God has never been alone. And so if we're going to be like Christ, we must also not ignore this dimension and this attribute of being together. <clears throat> the commandment to love one another requires that you're in community with each other. You can't just be in, a, in an empty room all by yourself and be like, okay, Jesus said to love one another. I'm going to do it. You know, like, <clears throat> you can't do that without the presence of another. And by the way, as Megan said last week, like, loving oneself is so important, but the fullness of the commandment is that you need somebody to love. And there's a lot of pluralness in the passage. Actually, when you read verses 21 to 23, it says, they who have my commandment and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, blah, blah, blah. Jesus answered him, those who love me, again, it's about Christ, will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. And our, it's like an over-westernization and over-emphasis on individualism. If we read that verse, 
and view it as like there's like a, there's like all these like millions of people and like just very certain individuals are lighting up and then God goes to them as like individuals out of a crowd. That's like an extremely like Western valence on this, right? It's a it, anyone that would have read this would have heard Christ saying, "I'm going to come dwell with an actual community." <clears throat> So one thing, by the way, that's really helpful, because this is like a, turning into a weird sermon of like, let's all go out there and like sacrifice our lives for something. But one thing that really practically applies about community is that when we understand that, we can join a community where the spirit of Christ is dwelling because we are Christ to one another and to the world. And in our joining of that community, we can bear witness to that, even on those days where your participation is not like 100 Right? There are days when it's hard, when we're tired, where, yeah, we hear the Macedonian call for urgency, and we see the lamb in the revelation illuminating the world, and we're just like, you know, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't really know what I have in me to do something about this today. But if we, at minimum, stay close to a community where we know that Christness, this, this unique signature of Christ is found, if we keep ourselves there, just in shouting distance, then we keep ourselves in shouting distance of seeing God. Right? We might not be on the dais with the disciples in the Acts church, but at least we're in the crowd. Proximity matters. And I won't expound on the beauty of community, because like I said, just like see every other sermon I preach, like, and what it means in this context, but my challenge on this point is simply not just to look at Jesus, the solo artist, and think that we too have to resemble that solo art, because we don't need to because we got to do it together, because God has never been alone. So to see God, we have to see Christ, the unique expression of God in this world through the Spirit. To see Christ, we have to be Christ to each other. And to be like Christ, it means recognizing that Christ was never alone, and we must also choose to try to be Christ together. So just to tie this all together, I started by asking if you want to see God. And there is in each one of us curiosity about the divine, a genuine interest in engaging with spiritual reality to really perceive and see God in our midst. But then the sermon kind of turned into more like, can we all just be Christian? <laughs> like, which is as generic as it comes. But there's a profundity in how they're interrelated. Jesus promises a unique and special revelation and presence for those that do this. Our echo of Christ's love in our lives It's more than just positive virtue. It's more than just goodness gone viral. It sets the stage for a spiritual intervention where God really does show up in perceivable ways. So as I close this down, let me just, there's one more last piece of the scripture passage I want to highlight from John 14. And it says, on that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus says there's like a specific day when we're going to have this fulsome knowledge of the Trinity, the dwelling of the Father through Christ in the Spirit with us. But what day is that day? And it's actually like that's subject to a lot of debate. People look at this verse. You know, consensus usually centers around this. this he's referring to the res- resurrection. But I offer a slightly different theory. <clears throat> I think that day might be a very specific day for each community that takes up the mantle of being Christ to one another, that there's like a specific moment or time when that happens for us, and that in that day and in that moment, 
God will be revealed in a way that feels like a ton of bricks. And let me get a tiny bit prophetic here. I actually think that each of us, each of us will have our day. And that this church will have a unique day when we're called to kind of be stepping it up and be extra Christ-like. And if we step up on that day, (laughs) I can promise God will be revealed in our midst. To see God, we have to love and see Christ. For that to happen, we have to be Christ to one another, be found in a community that's committed to work that together. And if we do that, Christ promises some fireworks. It's a little spooky to think of it that way, but if we took that really seriously, then we should get to work. The work of being Christ, of melting people's hearts, of stepping up in courage into areas where we're being called in the ministries of Eastside, in the city of Atlanta, and the world that we live in today. Let's really do this, Eastside Church, because I, too, am eager to see God. In the name of the Maker, Sustainer, and Redeemer, amen. Hello, everybody. I'm Andrew Sabonis Chafee, and I get the pleasure of leading us today in our prayers of the people. Um, There'll be a few times during the prayer where I will say, Lord, in your mercy, and you are invited to respond, hear our prayer. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Dear God, creator, bless Eastside. Bless our hardworking staff members as they continue to direct this church down a path towards love, justice, humility, radical inclusion, and being Christ to one another. We ask you to bless Pastor Tim and his family and bless their bittersweet new journey ahead uh, for them and for us. May it be encouraging and meaningful. We ask you to bless Pastor Tavares and his family and bless that their time with us may be exciting and transformative. Um, we ask you to bless all the recent graduates and anyone else in the middle of big life transitions right now. May you find wisdom from the past and eagerness for the future while never forgetting intentional presence right now. Bless all of Eastside's volunteers who keep the church alive behind the scenes. May we never tire of doing good. Bless all of those visiting Eastside or discerning what church to belong to. May you receive clarity and peace. Bless those who are finding it hard to come to church right now. May God continue to show herself to you even if not in these walls. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. I pray that we can be Christ to one another and pray that Christ-like love guides all that we do. A fully realized love that is embodied and action-oriented and never hypothetical. An attentive love that seeks to recognize the divine in everyone and everything. A courageous love that speaks truth to power reminding us that even if relationship isn't always comfortable, it is safe. A self-love that remembers we can only love our neighbor as well as we can love ourselves. A boundary-setting love that understands sometimes we can love people more when we are not in close relationship with them. A curious love that seeks to understand and know one another, even and especially those who we disagree with. 
an eco-conscious love that celebrates and aims to protect the sacred inter interconnected life amongst all of creation. A mysterious love that even all these definitions cannot come close to capturing. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, these past few weeks I have been angry, troubled, weary, and found love for my enemies very difficult. Um, I stumbled across a Frederick Buchner quote that encouraged me and reminded me that maybe my heart needed a little bit of melting. So I pray these words over us this morning. You see the lines in their faces and the way they walk when they're tired. You see who their husbands and wives are maybe. You see where they're vulnerable. You see where they're scared. Seeing what is hateful about them, you may catch a glimpse of where the hatefulness comes from. Seeing the hurt they cause you, you may also see the hurt they cause themselves. You're still light years away from loving them to be sure, but at least you see how they are human, even as you are human, and that is at least a step in the right direction. It's possible that you may even get to where you can pray for them a little, if only that God forgive them because you yourself can't, but any prayer for them at all is a major breakthrough. Let this be our little prayer for us and our enemies this morning. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. I invite us all now into a time of silent confession and reflection. Hear the good news. Christ died for us when we were yet sinners and that proves God's love for us. In the name of Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Christ, you are forgiven. Uh, if you'll rise and receive the benediction, definitely I hope that some of you might step up to that challenge and find a way to be Christ to our children and uh, to the parents of those children who very much need um, and want and desire to see the community grow among them uh, in that ministry. Um, and so uh, I bless you to go forward and to go and to melt hearts and to be Christ to one another in this community and collective so that we might see among us God revealed and perceive the presence of the divine. And as you do that, go forth in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the maker, and the fellowship and the advocacy of the Holy Spirit that goes with us. Go forth in peace. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's message and we look forward to connecting with you soon. If you'd like to experience our full church services, you can find them at youtube.com slash eastsidechurchatl. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing here at Eastside, you can find our giving portal at our website, eastsideatl.org. Be well.